This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with one of my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectacular, ready to relitigate the Anthony Davis trade request from freaking January co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started, um, and we do have a lot to get to today, we're going to begin our off-season grades, which we're taking by division, and then hit on some noteworthy news items. Please be excited for that train's worth of podcast to get rolling. But first, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you are consuming your podcast. iTunes is still a great way to help us, though, just to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening, and that we are not screaming, ranting, and raving into the great void. It takes 10 to 15 seconds. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us that five-star rating. Leave a review if you have feedback or comments. We do keep track of those things. Be respectful. Maybe don't call us pretentious or something along those lines. And if you haven't subscribed, do that already too. If you've done all those things, definitely start recommending us to friends, family, frenemies, acquaintances, coworkers, everyone you could think of. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, I also recommend that, at Hardwood Knox. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Mo, who is not with us today, can be found at Mo DeKeel underscore MBA. That's M-A-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. I am at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Finally, if you have not followed Blue Wire on Twitter, we can be found at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, we're promoting our other podcasts over there, so you should definitely check those out. We really quartered the market on NFL and NBA content. Soccer has just broken the blue wire airwaves as well and as a bonus if you fire at blue wire pods you'll get more of my musings because i am tweeting from there five and six days a week now that all of that is out of the way though we get to the question that we love to ask at the beginning of every podcast andy how the hell are you i am excellent um excited to discuss the pacific division uh nothing really happened in the pacific division over the last few weeks so i don't know what we're going to talk about but i I am ready to dive in anyway the first thing i want to ask you about though is (laughs) so the wizards uh they finally make uh tommy Shepard their permanent general manager had the most bizarre tryout where it was show me what you can do by taking us through the draft and free agency which is kind of a dangerous game if you really think well and Taking us through the Wizards didn't. I guess the draft is always a question mark, but the Wizards didn't really have a lot of flexibility that that they could do much with over the last few months that he's been on the job. And maybe that was the thinking, where if he really is that bad, he can't do. Something. I don't know. He's just been there. <laughs> he's been there for years too. So it's you know, how does Ted Leonsis not understand or know who he is? I know there's a lot of people that said Ernie Grunfeld compartmentalized things. Maybe that goes into it, but. He is hired. Seems like he deserved it just because give him the permanent title when he's going to do all this work. One of the first things he did say, though, is that on Friday, July 26th, Bradley Beal will be eligible for a three-year, $111 million extension, which the Wizards plan on offering him. He said it's mostly a courtesy, which I think nods towards the fact that they don't expect Beal to sign it. And it's I don't think it's a problem if he doesn't because he has two years left on his deal, and if he's playing the long game, financially it makes more sense for him not to sign it. I, I, I think it's interesting just because free agency is so far away for him, though, that maybe he sees tacking on those three extra guaranteed years 
as a bonus. That being said, if he makes an All-NBA team next year, which I believe that the Wizards have said John Wall is unlikely to play now next season, Beal, if he makes an All-NBA team, which I would think he'd have a good chance of doing since John Wall won't be healthy, or maybe he'll look at it as the Wizards won't win enough to qualify him. There's an argument to be had there. If he does make it, though, he'll qualify for a five-year, $253.8 million extension. So what do you think he ultimately does? What do you think he should do? I, <laughs> the, the difference in money there, I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how um, the numbers have gotten so big that players can put personal preferences above that sometimes and maybe turn down a little bit of money here or there for a chance to play somewhere they like or a chance for more security. Um, the difference in the numbers that you just laid out there is pretty staggering, though, from 250 to 111. And his preference may not be to stay in Washington for three more years beyond the end of his current contract. So I, I think the way that you framed it is probably accurate and fair. Um, I mean, it, it would be hard for anybody to stare down a three-year, $111 million extension and say no. <laughs> but given the, the possibility... Um, of more down the road, which like you said, I think is, is very possible. Um, if John wall misses most, if not all of next season, Bradley Beal is going to have a monster year, even, even with wall playing the first couple months of the season. And there was some weird, um, when Beal and wall were on the floor together this past season, Washington was actually not very good. Um, so if he, if he's got a whole year where he is the clear number one guy, he's coming off a season in which he averaged 25, five and five, one of the only players to do that. Um, in an age 25 or younger season, he's he's going to have a real good shot at all NBA. And if you if you can secure the five year 250 million, I mean that's that's a whole another ball game. I don't know if the Wizards would offer it if it got to that point. That'd be interesting. I will say if he does sign it, and again free agency is so far off for him. I know this can be a situation with a lot of guys, but you know maybe he looks at it as the aggregate of a five year. It would end up being 166. Uh, $67 million deal about when you tack it on to his next two years. If that's the contract he ended up being under, and I hate to view it like this when it hasn't even been signed and when he would have to wait uh, that requisite period before he can even be traded, he arguably becomes one of the five best trade assets in the NBA just because he's 26. And so five years takes him through his age 30 season and that 5 and 167 number is absolutely super manageable when you're talking about a player of his caliber. Did you see the, speaking of him being 26, did you see the tweet making the rounds? I think it was Josh Eberly who said, uh, it's still amazing to me that Beal is younger than Buddy Heald. Oh, I did see that. That's always It's just, crazy. It was just cool how we just sort of just bypassed Buddy Heald's birthday being like a year <laughs> off too. That yeah. was like a one-day thing. That and yeah, that's wild. But it's also wild that Bradley Beal is as young as he is. Um, right after Woj reported the news that Washington would offer that 111 million dollar extension, I looked up because he he just did 25 five and five for the first time in his age 25 season, and I thought I'm guessing that didn't happen very often. So I looked it up. Um, players who average 25 points, five rebounds, five assists in an age 25 or younger season. This is the entire list. Uh, LeBron did it six times, which is insane. Um, six times before the age of 25, which is, or, or before the age of 26, Tracy McGrady did it four times. Oscar Robertson did it four times. Michael Jordan, three times, Jerry West, three times, Kobe Bryant, two times. Then we go Giannis Antetokounmpo, Clyde Drexler, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Chris Mullen, Dwayne Wade. Then of course, Bradley Beal. Um, that's absurd. Yeah. Very, very exclusive company for sure. And as we've both said now, if John wall is out next season, there's a chance those numbers could bump up even a little bit more, uh, next season. He's going to have a huge (laughs) scoring offense, general, uh, responsibility next season. Because if you look at the rest of that roster, it's not terribly inspiring right now. So he, he could be in for another, monster season but like you said that then they get into the question of if he does qualify for five years and 250 um do we then offer that i i I don't know if washington would be in the position to do that they'd be kind of like charlotte was this past summer with kimba in my opinion where you you probably have to pay him that or get close to it to keep him but you're probably not 
I mean, it's, it's not like you're bringing a contender back by doing that. Um, so they, they'll be in an interesting dilemma for sure. He would be the player that you'd want to give it to just based on his age and the position that he plays and, and the way he shoots compared to John Wall. But again, when you have John Wall under it already, maybe it's different because, again, next summer he's only 27 yeah. still. It's it's a tough decision. I wouldn't expect them to give it to him. But again, if Wall doesn't play, it makes that case super uh, interesting there as my phone just goes off in the middle while I'm talking. That's just that's going to be something to monitor. Uh and the other thing that's going around, and it's happening today as we record this, uh, Kendrick Perkins uh, <laughs> seems to be having a meltdown on Steve Kerr and the Anthony Davis situation. Meltdown's probably an unkind word, but Steve Kerr said that the Anthony Davis stuff is basically bad for the league. And I think both sides of the fence are just valid. It's such a complex issue when you're talking about we understand players are under contracts, but the teams have no obligation to them other than to pay them if they can exercise their empowerment, you know, for the first time, when you talk, what does it take? A minimum of seven years, I would say, at least before a player gets to restri- uh, unrestricted free agency. When you factor in four years under the rookie scale, and then let's assume they sign, you know, a three-year deal in that second contract, and most of them end up signing four or five years if they're really worth it. It's just a, what do you sort of make it? Because I think there, there's a, there's a logic to it for both sides. I, I think it's definitely more complex than this is bad for the league and or Steve Kerr's an idiot, which is basically yeah. the two sides of the fence that we're listening to right now. I think my favorite, first of all, I love that you introduced this story with Perk. Um, and I, I think my favorite part of his Twitter rant today was that he said Mark Jackson built the Warriors dynasty. But anyway... Can we be honest and say that maybe David Lee's injury built the Warriors dynasty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would probably be more accurate than what Perkins said today. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of torn on player empowerment. I, I think it's fine that players are dictating you know, what they want to do, where they want to go, etc. Um, I, I think some of the arguments for it are flawed, though. I, I've, I've heard a lot of people say stuff like, well, if, if we can – you know, average Joe citizen choose where we want to work, wherever we want to work, then, then NBA players should be able to too. And I just think that's such a, uh, it's not even close to apples to apples comparison. I would say like 95 to 96, I don't know, upwards of that percent of American employees are at will employees who can be fired at any time. They can choose where they work, but they, there's a lot of concessions that come with that. These guys are the absolute top of a very, um, very exclusive trade, very exclusive industry. They're at a position where they can negotiate contracts. And if they are this serious about wanting to move whenever they want to move, then they can negotiate one year contracts. Now, now, like you said, there's the seven year window after they leave college. And there's certainly I think there's probably more of a debate on that front. Um but if if player empowerment and wanting to move whenever you you know feel the the desire to move is the thing that you want to do, um, maybe shorter contracts. Maybe people do one to one and ones like LeBron did uh, for the last few years in Cleveland. Maybe like maybe maybe that's what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are doing right now. Um, their their actual contracts were shorter than I think a lot of people expected when they signed them with the Clippers. They're both going to be free agents just two years from now. Um, so they they have an opportunity to negotiate shorter contracts if they want to they want to move. I think if you commit to four years of your own volition, like like Anthony Davis did, and then you decide you want to leave two years in, that's a little bit more difficult for me to swallow. Um, the the other thing about this too is there are industries where people work for a company and get, can get transferred to a, a different city without much say-so in it. Um, you know, if, if you work for an international company or even a company that's in a lot of different American states, you can get transferred from one location to another. Um, so it's not completely exclusive to the NBA. I, like you said, I think there are probably strong points on, on both sides, and maybe there's some concessions that need to be made on both sides to find some common ground. But... Um, I just think generally speaking, it's it's just not the same as what we deal with as as regular American employees. That was a long-winded uh, explanation of how I feel about all this. And I think I get it, but like you kind of even said, they 
the guys that this applies to too, because it's not the entire league. They're just transcendent to their yeah. occupation in a way that most of us, all of us, will never be. And you have to consider that value. And I think that also sort of has to be factored into this argument as well. Is that now you just have to figure this is baked into the risk of having a player who was one of the I would say maybe the twenty best players in the league might have the levers to do something like this. Where yeah. you know Paul, the, what Paul George did might be even more dangerous, just because he had two full years left on his yeah. deal plus a player option. That's just I think that at this point it's part of the superstar experience, and I'm you know I tend to be more, and so do you. We tend to be just more pro player than anything. I would be open to something where these contracts, um, the super maxes, the thirty five percent maxes. Maybe I think Zach Lowe has brought this up. Maybe they count actually as a smaller percentage. Of your yeah. cap to incentivize. I think Bill Simmons has brought this up to incentivize teams to spend more. That that's something that I think helps both sides of the argument. Um, I don't think that extending contracts would would help that much. Uh, it would help maybe it entices players to stay, but you're dealing with so much money in the short term anyway. It might not. And then if it doesn't entice players to stay, it has the same impact that these supermaxes do, where the teams that give them out could end up being overburdened buy these salaries for players who aren't worth them. And it's just, it's such a weird balance to strike. I think my main point was that at the beginning of this, I'm not going to claim to have a solution and I'm not going to pick a side. If I did have to pick one again, I would say that's because this applies to such a select few NBA players that you as a team, as an organization, as a franchise have to just cake it in to the superstar experience and figure yeah. out a way to work around it. Otherwise, there are just valid points on both sides. And like I said, I don't think it can be diluted down to, oh, this is terrible for the league, as Steve Kerr kind of said, or Perk just saying, no, Steve Kerr's an idiot. This is like like this and this and this. Or maybe the – I think that's all true. And maybe another element of, the, of this is maybe smart teams um, start to look for opportunities to take advantage of it. Like the Raptors knew that there was a chance they were only going to have Kawhi Leonard for one year, um, but they went ahead and pulled the trigger on it anyway and wound up with the championship. I mean, it was a very high stakes uh, move that they made. I guess it, it in their specific, very unique situation, it maybe wasn't high stakes because they probably would have blown things up anyway if they didn't get Kawhi Leonard. Right. Um, but but maybe yeah, if you're if you're a team that isn't necessarily a destination in free agency. Maybe, maybe you take advantage of the fact that players get unhappy in situations quicker now, or it seem to get unhappy in situations quicker now and um, roll the dice every now and then go all in on a move like that and and see what you can do. Um, And if the guy doesn't stay, whatever you took your shot and and that guy's probably not going to give much more time to the next team. So it's, it, it might be worth more, of those kind of moves for the smaller market teams around the league. It doesn't help either that this situation sort of deteriorated super quickly where it went from Paul George re-signed with the Thunder and, wow, Kawhi just yeah. won in Toronto, maybe he'll stay, to then both of them leave for the same team, which just so happens to be in Los Angeles. Yeah, That makes the optics of this discussion this summer so much worse, particularly when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving teamed up in New York, uh, in Brooklyn specifically, and then Anthony Davis forced his way to the Lakers one summer after LeBron James signed there. This free agency class, though, is kind of an anomaly in the way that that 2016 salary mm-hmm. cap boom was. Is I don't think we're going to have this many all-NBA players on the open market ever again. And then yet, Paul George wasn't on the open market. Anthony Davis wasn't on the open market. Still yeah. found a way to get to where they they wanted to go. And what I'm also interested to see, the the last thing on this is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, Leonard specifically, he signs the two-year deal now. And so he can re-explore free agency in 2021. Are are the transient nature of these contracts going to spill over into title windows where it's, let's say the Clippers don't win a title in the next two years. And I think it's fair to say that they might not. The odds just statistically are against them. Is that considered a failure or are players still willing to play the long-term game? Because at some point I think continuity does matter where if you're Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers don't win a championship in two years, is it going to be different when you jump ship somewhere else? It's almost like, and this is off the top of my head, we could equate it to vacations where you lose 
where if you're going somewhere, you lose a day to travel, basically, just regardless yeah. because of how long it takes, uh, how long in advance you have to get to the airport, the process of traveling, checking into places. And then it's the same thing on the way back when you're going to another place. And so you're going to need that grace period to work through growing pains. I'm just interested to see the ramifications if the summer of 2021 becomes an, an actual thing with not just Leonard, but Paul George two years after he's been with the Clippers, LeBron after he's only been with the Lakers <laughs> for three years. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I guess if I guess if we stay in this like constant swirl of player movement, who knows if title windows are even a thing anymore? Um, like and title maybe a, crevices. Yeah, maybe a fringe benefit is is now there's a ton of parity when when guys are changing teams constantly. Um, somebody can sort of rise up and and win a title that may not have been able to otherwise. I don't know. Um, we we're certainly entering a different phase of the NBA. That's for sure. This, this player movement, um, we, I don't think it's not only is it not a stress to say this was the craziest off season ever. It's, it's like an obvious thing to say at this point, uh, we've never seen anything close to this and now it sets the table for who knows what going forward. I'm sure you read the article by Zach Lowe and, uh, it was Windhorst, yeah, about the owners' meeting. Yeah, that's the other thing is tampering is just rampant as well. Yeah, so now now there's you know after this wild wild off season where the players seem to be in complete control of the last you know at least month or something. Now the owners are understandably thinking we got to get this power back. Um, there there could be an interesting push and pull going on here over the next few years. Um, and I also think it's funny that we got this far and have mentioned Kawhi this many times without mentioning the plane stuff. You saw that too, right? That's creepy. That's just creepy. <laughs> Asking for planes and sponsorships and oh, uh, that one. I thought you were talking about him, like us tailing his plane or him coming off the. Oh yeah, the that's weird. Jet. Yeah, that was that. That's been weird for as long as that's been going on. But I yeah, do. the report yesterday that Uncle Dennis has been asking for planes and sponsorships and and whatever else. Um, I don't, I don't know what the NBA does. I guess you just if you find out this stuff is true and it's been happening all over the league, you throw out huge fines. It's not like you can go back. I mean, in the past they have voided contracts over rule violations. I can't imagine Adam Silver would go back and try and undo this offseason. Um, I'm guessing it'll just be huge fines, but they, they've got all kinds of stuff to pay attention to going forward. I do think the timing of that report matters. Where. Kawhi had already signed and picked the Clippers and didn't pick. I know it came from the Raptors too. I think it was that he was asking them for stuff. I just, you have to, I have fun with these things on Twitter and people take them seriously. I I, I take all the reports with a grain of salt because there are just so many conflicting agendas. And that's, that's true too. The Magic Johnson thing with the, that was a fantastically reported piece by um, Jovan Bovut and Amick and Sharania uh, at the athletic talking about just behind-the-scenes Kawhi stuff, I just find it very hard to believe that Magic Johnson played the deciding factor in Kawhi not signing with the Lakers. Stuff like yeah. that. You can't... He's not even an employee at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's a good point. All, all this stuff from different sources in the aftermath are certainly trying to, to paint their own pictures, but... Um, By all again, means, get the jokes off, though. Yeah, for sure. Um it's just going to be wild to to see how they react to the wildness. Um, really, the crazy. I mean, we're we are now a, a one month and one day since the draft. Um, I think some somewhere around there, basically a month since the draft, and all this has happened. It's it's hard to believe how much has taken place in the last few weeks. Attention, Hardwood Knox listeners! Summertime is pool time. All pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe. Testing your pool water is easy, but figuring out what to put into it can be a pain. Sutro has solved that problem. Sutro's free pool chemical calculator takes the hassle out of treating your pool. Our sample text-based interface allows you to test 
text, and then treat your pool. Go to mysutro.com slash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. That's M-Y-S-U-T-R-O dot com slash bluewire. If you own a pool or you have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's the simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of pool work with Sutro. Sign up for free at mysutro.com slash bluewire. That's mysutro dot com slash bluewire. It becomes even harder to believe when you take stock of what every team has done this offseason, which we're about to do, starting with the Pacific Division. How do you like that as a transition? Beautiful segue. Um, so we're going to go in reverse reverse record order, we decided before we recorded this. Mo has given us his grades for the team, so fear not, everybody. He, beginning with the Phoenix Suns, who last year won the fewest games in the Pacific Division, 19-63, and 63, he gave them a D. I gave them a C minus. Andy, you gave them a C. Sorry, I didn't want to speak your grade for you. Uh, <laughs> I thought I lost you for a second. <laughs> there's for me, and I'll make this quick since we burned almost a half an hour talking about extraneous stuff. I don't know how to view the Suns as off season. Did and I think there are two ways to kind of view it. Did they cough up too many future assets and overpay Ricky Rubio? just to belch out another 20-something win season? Or did they improve the roster from top to bottom without overspending or surrendering an asset more valuable than the Bucs' 2020 first-round pick, which is top seven protected and is just, if if they play as well as they did last season, it's not, it's going to be whatever. And it's just tough to figure out where to land in that debate. I do think that they, I, I, I lean more towards they they did too much this offseason in a bad way, or at least in a way that's tough to figure out than they should have. I mean, you trade what's basically Jared Culver for Cam Johnson and Dario Saric. Uh, yeah. And then you trade, what was it? A, a tr- It ends up being a, it, for Aaron Baines, uh, you get Aaron Baines and Ty Jerome for that Milwaukee first round pick. And the Celtics get a trade exception there too, but that, that doesn't really matter. That's also a bizarre trade. Like, what is Aaron Baines doing yeah. on the Suns? Uh, the the picks and De'Anthony Melton that they had to get rid of to get off of Josh Jackson, who all of a sudden became this albatross for them. It's on the one hand, wow. On the other hand, you know, rookies are making you know at his level between six and seven million dollars. That's not nothing, and you needed to worry about re-signing Kelly Oubre Jr., but that was also the other thing is, like, why wasn't his cap hold better factored into your off-season plans? I'm not going to shit on the Suns for what they did. They they got the ball out of Devin Booker's hands on offense, in and not just for anyone, but for a legitimate playmaker in Ricky Rubio. That's going to take a ton of pressure off Devin Booker. He's a m- much better off-ball shooter than he showcased, in large part because he hasn't had the opportunity to, to showcase it. Uh, I love Mikael Bridges just defensively. DeAndre Ayton is going to get better. This A lot of people like Ty Jerome and think that he could be a sneaky good secondary playmaker. This team is deeper with NBA talent. I just don't know if the opportunity cost they gave up was worth it. I also don't know what the opportunity cost is going to end up being in some. Yeah, this is kind of a difficult... Um kind of a difficult offseason to figure out for them. I gave them a C as just sort of like a token passing grade because I think they got better. Um, if if you pull up the free agency tracker that I made that has 538's uh, wins above replacement projections, um, they added 3.7 and lost 0.2 for a net of 3.5. The only teams that had a higher net were the Clippers – Mavericks, Nets, Bulls, and Lakers. I meant to say that. So they finished sixth in the league this summer so far in wins above replacement gain. Yeah, and so I think – so that obviously has a lot to do with um, the formula that 538 use, uses. And I think they're going to be a little bit higher on Ricky Rubio as an individual player than I am on Ricky Rubio as a fit with the Phoenix Suns. Um he struggled. So yeah, he's, he, he alone is forecast for 2.7 wins above replacement player next season. Um, and they added 3.7. So that's, that's the bulk of what they added right there with Ricky Rubio. He just spent the last two seasons posting, I think decent 
overall catch-all numbers, but the fit was really weird with him and Donovan Mitchell, a shooting guard who dominates the ball. And now he's going to Phoenix to play with Devin Booker, a shooting guard who dominates the ball. Um, So if you've got Devin Booker controlling possessions, as I think he should for the Phoenix Suns, then you have Ricky Rubio as a floor spacer, and that's, that's just not a recipe for success. He's had one decent shooting season. It was his first one in Utah. He's had a few decent shooting months here and there over the course of his career. But for the most part, defenses can just leave him alone. Um, and so when Devin Booker has the ball and Ricky Rubio is on the floor, the spacing is not going to be great. Um, I, I think so. That's that's probably my biggest um, concern with the Suns is I just don't love the Rubio fit. Some of the other stuff they did, I actually kind of like. Like I think Saric could be an interesting stretch four next to DeAndre Ayton. Um, I remember his first couple years in Philly. There was there was some intrigue with his passing, which is. I, I love big guys who can pass. Maybe he can get back to that a little bit in, in Phoenix. Maybe they can run some four or five pick and roll with him and Aiden. Um, the Cameron Johnson pick remains a bit of a head scratcher. Um, it just it just seems like they could have gotten him later. He, he's, he projects to be a really, really good shooter, but he's an older prospect. Um, he doesn't do a ton beyond shooting. So that, that was a curious move. And then all the ones that you pinpointed as you were discussing your grade, those, those are, you know <laughs> – Clearly not um, – those aren't like grand slam offseason moves. The other thing that I don't mind about their offseason is a lot of the guys that they got rid of were minuses. Um, I don't think Dragon Bender was going to help them. Jamal Crawford actively hurts teams for the last few years. Um, Josh Jackson hasn't helped them at all. Uh, like you said, it took some extra assets to get off him, so so you kind of <laughs> torn on that move too. But the, the T.J. Warren trade was also a little bit – strange to me um i don't know if there was just a fit problem there with him and the organization overall there's there's a lot of head scratching moves but i don't think it was like a terrible off season um and i I do think they'll maybe get a couple wins better but in their case that just puts them in the low 20s um so i think just the fact that they they probably moved the needle a little bit that's what gets me to give them a passing grade it's just the moves if you say the players without what it cost them makes sense. Like Dario Saric, Cam Johnson, but would Jared Culver have been a better play for the yeah. Suns? Uh, it's, and I didn't even mention the TJ Warren. We would give up the number 32 pick to get rid of him. He can't pass. And so Dario Saric, he's, I don't know if he's going to be. The problem when you played Aiton with Warren is that the Suns just couldn't rebound. I don't know that that gets a ton better with Saric, but at least he can pass. And it's just yeah. going to make more team oriented plays off the dribble. It's just, it's just very, it's so very confusing when you look at it in the aggregate. The Kelly Oubre Jr. deal might have been their best move, just getting those two years. Yeah. And so if it works out, that's great. And you have those uh, rights on him where you are gonna you don't have to worry about being a team that can't pay him. But if it doesn't work out, hey, it's it's sort of short-lived. But, like, you know, two second-round picks and DeAnthony Melton to get off of Josh Jackson, who was a top-five prospect at one point just two years ago, basically, is just so... It's a bizarre offseason, and I'm I'm less high on it than not. I do think, though, the people that are giving them Fs, uh, maybe we can even say Mo, who gave them a D, that's probably the, the lowest grade you could justify for them. I, I don't think they flat-out failed the offseason because they actually got better, and you don't look at any of the assets they gave up and say, that was cornerstone material. If you think that way about yeah. Josh Jackson... I don't know what to tell you. You know, losing Richon Holmes in free agency, maybe that kind of matters. But Aaron Baines is a good backup big. I just don't understand why they made that move, but he's a good backup big. So yeah, uh, a C- to C, that that area seems right for for Phoenix. Agreed. For the Sacramento Kings. Wait. I thought we were going in reverse standings order. Oh, wow. Excuse me. Yes. Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> how, how weird is it to to see the Kings up in third place in the Pacific anyway? I mean, good for the Kings. You, you have to tip your cap to them for the season that they had last year. Uh, both you and I gave them Bs for the offseason, so I'll spoil your grade there. Uh, Mo gave them a C-, minus. something we should have done with the Suns. We did eventually hit it, but the key additions for the Kings, Corey Joseph, Dwayne Dedman, um, Justin James, the number 40 pick, Kyle Guy, the number 55 pick, Rachon Holmes, Trevor Ariza, Tyler Lydon. Their key exits, if you want to call these key exits, Alec Burks was there for a minute, Frank Mason, Willie Cauley-Stein, and their key re-signings, Harrison Barnes. You gave them a B, Andy, so why did you give them a B? 
Um, I I like the Deadman signing. Um, he he's a guy who's a more modern big, I think, than Willie Cauley Stein. And they they tried to do this a couple years ago when they signed George Hill and Zach Randolph. They thought let's bring a couple veterans in here to kind of teach the young guys about. Winning, doing things the right way, et cetera. And I think it was too early uh, at that point. And it obviously didn't work out. Neither one of them lasted with the team for very long. I think the timing is right now. And I think Deadman is a good guy for that. I mean, he he didn't do a lot of winning with Atlanta last season. Um, but he's he's a veteran player, does a little bit of everything. Um, I, I'm preaching to the choir on this because I, I feel like you are as much a Deadman guy as anybody. Um, but he, he can shoot threes. He can protect the rim. Uh, again, he just does a little bit of everything. I like Corey Joseph a lot. I think he's a he's you know a perennial staple in the best backup point guard in the league conversations. Um, Trevor Reza shores up depth a little bit. I think the fact that they won 39 games last year, they have most of the young guys coming back, maybe even all of the young guys coming back who were who were a big. Oh, I guess Collie Stein. Uh, so most of the young guys coming back who are a big part of that, they should all be better. And now they're supplementing it with some veterans that I think make sense. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't guess that they'll make the playoffs this season, but I don't blame them for going for it. They just won 39 games. I think their, their no postseason streak is up to like 13 years or something. This is a good, as good a time as any to go for it. If they get a big breakout from like Marvin Bagley this season or Harry Giles or both or something like that, they could be pretty interesting. So I, I kind of like everything that they did here. I don't think they had any huge losses. Um, Colley Stein was probably the best player that they lost, but he clearly didn't want to be there. I mean, the reports about him wanting a new team came out long ago, and he signed for very, very little with Golden State. So that that just wasn't going to work going forward. So their additions I like, and and I don't. There's there's really nothing that kills me on the the players lost side. Do you like how you said we were moving on to the Lakers and I went with the Kings anyway? I, yeah. we, we, will, we will work out the Kings as these podcasts as you, go on. As you started to list the grades for the Kings, I was like, oh, I guess we're doing the Kings. What, hey, look, their grades were favorable, so I yeah. apologize for the misorder, but uh, they got Bs from both of us. I think people's main sticking points here is the money that they gave some of these veterans. Mm-hmm. It, overall, I don't care. Because Trevor Ariza, the second year of his deal, is is only $1.8 million guaranteed. Dwayne Dedman, the third season of his deal, $1 million guaranteed. Corey Joseph, the biggest overpay of the bunch, $2.4 million guaranteed in that third year. When you're a team like Sacramento, the fact of the matter is that you have to overpay to get free agents to come play for you. Uh, is, is Harrison Barnes worth a guaranteed $80-plus million? You know, that was... That was, that was the real head-scratcher to me was that move, but keep going. And that's where the questions lead in for me where I could very easily give them a higher grade for, I think, again, you bring in these veterans, but they're not so counter to your timeline or they don't have the cachet where you need to win with them uh, for this to to turn upside down, whereas George Hill kind of had that a little bit. Um, Zach Randolph was just so old and that you only yeah. paid him so that he could be a mentor in the locker room. Uh, you have guys who can help you functionally and then but they're not necessarily good enough to be like well hey i need to be on on this timeline and as you alluded to already you know how i feel about Dwayne deadman and shout out to trevor reza by the way just the nba's foremost mercenary who follows the bag wherever he goes and i'm I'm, (laughs) i am here for it nba i would do it too yeah it's and look and the the incumbents are probably what you love most about this team buddy heel De'Aaron fox marvin bagley uh, harry giles with what we saw from him and if bagley shoots threes the way that he did towards the end of last year just the offensive firepower and, and uh, versatility on this team when you look at how many bigs can now step out. And that sort of overcomes some of the questions of, oh, do they have too many bigs? And I don't have that question, but my doubts are, or my actual questions are, are we going to get to see enough of Harrison Barnes at the four? Because I think he absolutely needs to play and there. Bagley at the five. And Bag- I think Bagley that's still at the his... five. And or, yeah. or Bagley-Giles front courts together. Are those going to yeah. become a staple or have you diluted those a little bit? Those are all fair questions. Uh, was Trevor Ariza the, the right wing to go off of? I don't think you need somebody who can create off the dribble, but you definitely want someone whose defense is going to age better on the perimeter. And when you're already forcing, I'll say, Harrison Barnes to... I would I would say log so much time at the three. That's the assumption. Things get a little iffy there. So there are question marks with this team. But when overall, when you look at the players, 
I think it was it was solid. And none of these contracts, because of those non-guarantees, are going to become immovable. And so the Kings have interesting trade chips if they need to pivot, if they're looking for salary matching in, in the deal, or if they're looking to maybe take back bad money that has picks and prospects if they, if they sort of want to take the step back. I think they're still very flexible then moving forward. The, the big man glut, you know, it's I think it's legitimate to some end just because, hey, you, you also went out and got Richon Holmes. Now you have an embarrassment of talented bigs which is just a weird thing to have. Maybe it all works out. I'm very interested to see it. I won't kill them, though. I, again, I think it was a solid B offseason. And when you go by your tracker, the wins above replacement differential, they're seventh in the league for the offseason, so just behind yeah. the Suns. And that, that's a that's a really good spot to be, particularly when they didn't have a, a top draft pick um, in, in this uh in this draft, and then also when, yes, they were dealing with cap space, but they're not a free agency destination the way that the Clippers or the Lakers are. Yeah. Do you think they make the playoffs? No, that's it's. We'll have to have a pot about that later on. I yeah. just when you get to taking it's too deep when you take it out of the teams out of the playoff picture. I don't know. We're already removing. Let's just say OKC for the Lakers. Are you removing the Blazers or the Suns in favor of the Kings? Yeah. And are are we you positive the Kings are going to be better than the Pelicans or Mavericks? I would say near definitely on Dallas. I'm inclined to say you're definitely on New Orleans because I feel like we're hyping them up too much, but I just look at their roster and I'm in love with it. Yeah, I, I like New Orleans roster a lot too. And I'm I'm fairly high on Dallas. Um, that that would be a tough call for me between Dallas and Sacramento. But yeah, the West is just loaded. Um, so even, even with them winning 39 games last season and I think getting better this summer, I, it would still be really hard for me to say they'll get in. Um, it's just great. Even after this in just wild, wild, wild summer, it's still very heavily tilted to the West. Do you know what the worst sound in the world is? It's your alarm clock if you haven't gotten enough sleep. No matter how much you love that song on your phone, when it wakes you up in the morning, you just don't want it to stop. I personally have to wake myself to loud, heart-pumping EDM music just to make sure that I get out of bed. Now, imagine this scenario. The surface temperature of your bed gradually adjusts to wake you up gently and naturally without the sound of the alarm. Imagine now waking up rested and alert. Not science fiction. This is the new Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. And there's a reason why Time Magazine calls 8 one of the best inventions of the year. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. And no more alarm clocks. To celebrate Independence Day, get a free gravity cooling blanket plus free shipping with your pod purchase, a $300 value, free. Offer ends Monday, July 1st. Visit 8sleep.com slash bluewire. That's 8sleep.com slash bluewire. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash bluewire. Are you ready for me to pick the right team, which is still (laughs) actually the wrong team? Let's do it. The Los Angeles Lakers. I gave them a B plus. Mo gave them an A. And Andy, I'll let you say yours this time. You gave them a... I also gave them an A. There's... I wouldn't quibble over you there much, just because if people are going to kill them for anything, I, I bet you it will be... They should have not gone after Kawhi Leonard, and they should have filled out the roster with depth. And the answer is no, you don't do that. If you have yeah, a one-in-three chance of yeah. getting one of the five best players in the league, you absolutely do it. And the way they rebounded... I did an in-depth piece on this for Bleacher Report... I don't think they have the deepest cast of shooters, the most certain cast of shooters, but they have enough shooting, particularly when you compare it to last year, which, by the way, that was the first LeBron James team, last year's Lakers, that ranked outside the top 15 of both three-point attempt rate and three-point accuracy, just to put into perspective how not great it was. The key additions for the Lakers, Anthony Davis, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, DeMarcus Cousins, Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, Talon Horton Tucker, the number 46 pick. Troy Daniels. Key exits, Brandon Ingram, Isaac Bonga, Jamario Moon, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Mike Mascala, Mo Wagner, Reggie Bullock. They re-signed Alex Caruso, JaVale McGee, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Rajon Rondo. The reason I didn't also give them an A is I'm very uneasy. It has nothing to do with who they didn't sign, and just 
I'm trying to imagine how they're going to play. And the fact that Anthony Davis came out and said he's a power forward, and then the Lakers signed both DeMarcus yeah. Cousins and JaVale McGee. That's it, a little scary. It makes me a little uneasy because, look, Anthony Davis, I don't worry about him playing his power forward as much as the the trickle-down effect. Kyle Kuzma should be playing a ton of power forward. Will he have the yep. flexibility to do this on this roster? The same goes – LeBron's basically positionless, so that's fine. But I want to see Anthony Davis – at the five more and can they get to those closing lineups where he is the five and Kyle Kuzma is your four maybe you even have Jared Dudley as your four just for defensive reasons and that's why I ultimately gave them a B plus because I'm wondering if they have a clear hold of how they're going to play with this roster I think that's totally fair um I wish somebody at some point could convince Anthony Davis that he is a center. I maybe it's not as big of an issue going forward because it seems like there might be some trend in the league to go back to bigger power forwards. I don't know. Just because um, Philadelphia is drunk on bigs and size, doesn't mean that there's a trend. <laughs> and Demonis Sabonis starting at the four in Indiana. Maybe it's just the Eastern Conference. Indiana is so. also anti-true point guard, so I don't. I was gonna, <laughs> I was going to say maybe I shouldn't put much stock in it if it's an Eastern Conference trend. Um, I, <laughs> the East I agree. is big, I think, man, literally. <laughs> Anthony Davis should be a five. So there there are a number of additions or re-signings that they made that I would not have done. Um, I, I, I think Avery Bradley's had maybe one or two good seasons, and he's actively hurt teams for the last few years. I, that was not a good move to me. Re-signing Rajon Rondo was not a good move to me. Um, I don't mind the DeMarcus Cousins move, but I think it raises the concerns that you brought up. That, that they're going to play him at the five and, and Davis at the four, and that causes that domino effect of issues that you just outlined. Same thing with McGee. Um, although you get McGee for, you know, maybe he can play the backup five to Davis. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff I didn't love, um, and so maybe it's a little strange that I gave him an A. Um, but the fact that they wound up with Anthony Davis, and, and now they have a Davis-LeBron pairing, it's it's really hard for me to not give them the A at that point. That's one of the best. If LeBron is still a couple years away from a real decline, that's possibly one of the best duos ever put together in the history of the game. I mean, they they could be absolutely ridiculous together. Um, and then I, I really, really like the Danny Green signing. Um, Perfect. Felt like maybe a little bit of an overpipe, but like you said, it's a perfect fit. They, they needed a player like him. Um, I was doing an article for Bleacher Report the other day, and it was kind of a throwaway line, but I looked up Danny Green in the career box plus minus leaderboard, and he's like 60-something. Um, just just the ideal 3-and-D guy for basically most of his career. He's a perfect fit alongside those two. I think Contavious Caldwell-Pope fits pretty well with those two as well. Um, so if you've got Davis, LeBron, KCP, Green um, – that's the start of a really, really dangerous lineup, in my opinion, especially if you've got LeBron at the four and Davis at the five. You can maybe throw one more guard out there. Hopefully it's not Rondo. Um, <laughs> he's, he's the one player I look at and say they absolutely should not have him on this roster. Yeah, that, that was – there was no reason for that. But if you, can, if you can cobble together a lineup that has LeBron and Davis and three shooters, um, that's incredibly dangerous. But I, I think the, the headline moves – of this offseason for them should be Davis and Danny Green. And those two were both grand slams to me. So that that gives them an A, even though I do have concerns with a bunch of other stuff that they did. The, the Just a few quick points on that is, one, I think when you were talking about maybe you're a little bit confused as to why you gave them an A, if you just look at what they did in the context of how the offseason played out, where they had to wait for Kawhi Leonard, and it wasn't a ch- it was a choice, but they yeah, had to and do I it. think they had to wait too for sure. And so this is what you end up with. That's perfect. The Danny Green, yes, it's an overpay, but you know that I, when it comes to two and three year deals, I'm just I'm not as concerned about the overpays. I was one of the th- yeah. I was one of the people, or maybe the only person that said the money that Philly gave Al Horford over four years. If I were the Kings, I would have given him that over three, and you just truncate your investment. And I really him, wanted the Kings to get Horford. <laughs> so did I. In a va- but it was if it were, we were just looking at four-year deals, money being equal, of course Philly's going to edge out Sacramento. Yeah. But I don't know if this would have appealed to Horford, but he could have signed for three and a hundred since he's guaranteed under a hundred in Philly. And yeah. you get to free agency a year sooner, so you have the chance to make even more money than that, but you haven't sacrificed anything because you're still yeah. getting it in the short term. And for the Kings, it just truncates the risk. I'm one of those. Maybe that's – I might be an extremist there. And the – 
Uh, the final thing I'll say, I, I'm not sure if you were on the podcast, where I asked Mo, who has worked for the Spurs and the Clippers, in addition to the Australian basketball team, if there's actually something to why, if we're oversimplifying it when we say Anthony Davis is a five and it's it's weird that he wants to be a four, I wanted to know if there's like someone like him would support it, and he told me no, that Anthony, Anthony Davis should be a five, that he doesn't understand that either. And I think that matters. It's just we yeah. say it because it, it actually it just seems very bizarre. Especially at the four or five, maybe there's still that wear and tear upgrade when you go from the three to the four, but uh, or maybe maybe it's actually probably bigger at the four to the five. Now that I'm speaking, but either way, Anthony Davis is a five in today's NBA. Totally agree. That brings us to let's see if I get this one right: the Los Angeles Clippers. They're, they didn't do anything either. No, they didn't do anything. Their key additions were some guy named Kawhi Leonard. Um, they have Mo Harkless, Paul George, Terrence Mann. I'm just going to butcher the pronunciation here. At number 27, they ended up with Kabangale. I should have looked up that pronunciation before I came on here. Apologies. Their key exits were Daniil Gallinari, Garrett Temple, Jonathan Motley, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Sundarius Thornwell, Tyrone Wallace, and Wilson Chandler. They re-signed Avika Zubak, Jamichael Green, Patrick Beverly, and one of my favorites, Rodney Magruder. Uh, their overall ranking, and I'll throw the Lakers in here too before that, because I forgot to give it, in wins above replacement differential for the offseason, the Lakers, they finished fifth. The Clippers finished first by a wide margin, I might add. It was the, the difference between the Clippers and the second place Dallas Mavericks, spoiler for a future pod, is more than the same between the Mavericks and the Lakers, so that two through five spot. It's just a monster gap there. I gave the Clippers an A. Mo also gave the Clippers an A. Andy, you gave the Clippers. Shocker, I gave them an A. Wow. That's a surprise. <laughs> I don't even know what you say on this. Is it, I think when you look at the haul they gave up to get Paul George, that there's maybe some, I, I won't say criticism, but the opportunity cost was steep. But two things that kind of stand out to me there is, one, you got Paul George to get Kawhi Leonard, so you were trading for the two of them. The other one is, if you go back, they got one of those Heat first-round picks for taking on Mo Harkless. That's a throwaway asset then. That's just something that it didn't actually cost you anything. And then even the other pick from the Heat, which they acquired as part of the Tobias Harris trade, if you weren't going to be the team that was going to give Tobias Harris five years and $190 million— to walk away still with Landry Shamit is, is absolutely fine to me. And so you give up that pick, and you look at it as only giving up— th- um, I know there are swaps baked in there, but you didn't give up as many of your own then first-rounders, which is another way to spin it if you don't want to look at the, oh, they were getting both Kawhi and Paul George argument. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at their depth chart right now. Um Yes, they gave up a lot for for Paul George, and there were some dominoes that had to fall for them to get to this point. But the the roster that they wound up with is just so loaded. Um, they won forty eight games last season. I think Danilo Gallinari was their best player, so losing him was you know you had to do it. Um, but what they replaced him with was Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they they kept from that forty eight team. They kept Beverly, Lou Williams, um, Trez. Harold, yeah. Uh, I mean, three of the most important players. And and a lot of those guys are really nice supplements to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Patrick Beverly is like the perfect point guard for that forward tandem. Um, their their depth is amazing. Uh, the, the way that they pulled this off, um, clear title contenders for the next couple of seasons. I, I think the one concern that I have is health. Paul George just had surgery on his shoulders. Kawhi Leonard's probably going to have to do load management again this season, and he was he was basically limping by the end of the finals. But he he obviously had enough in the tank to win the thing and to win Finals MVP. But maybe there's a slight concern with health overall. I this this was a masterful <laughs> offseason and a masterful last few years to put together a solid team with a bunch of guys on manageable contracts so that you could sort of strike when this opportunity presented itself and have a fantastic roster. There's been so many super teams assembled where you have to decimate the roster to make it work. I mean, Miami had to go down to nothing basically to add LeBron, Bosch, and Wade, and they even had to take pay cuts to do that. Los Angeles just had to 
slash everything down to LeBron and Kuzma to add Anthony Davis. Um, th- th- there, there are examples throughout NBA history where you have to just blow it up to start over with your super team. The Clippers added this ridiculous duo, and they kept some very, very good players. Um, so they're they're going to be ridiculous next season. There's there's very little I can um, gripe about with with what they did. Are you ready for me to nitpick? Yes. <laughs> I do just wonder if the absence of that past first pure point guard, and I hate using that term, is just a little weird with this roster. I know that you can have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Lou Williams create from scratch. You just don't have a top-tier passer. Yeah, none of them are great creators for others. That's a good point. They're not. I, I don't know what the quote was for Rick Buecher's. A piece for Bleacher Report, one of the GM's or rival executives said that Kawhi doesn't make the players around him better. You don't go that far with him or or Paul George. And maybe you can sort of just approximate a lot of that value because the Lou Williams, uh, Trez pick and roll was unstoppable last year. I just wonder if there's going to be maybe a little bit of an issue, particularly in games where perhaps you only have one of Kawhi or Paul George playing. Yeah. Maybe this is the... I mean, somebody's probably going to have to step into that primary playmaker role um it shouldn't be beverly i'm gonna say that he's the perfect compliment yeah yeah and maybe this is the year leonard adds that to his game that's always for the last few years that's sort of been the only thing missing um Kawhi's about to put up those lebron assist numbers seven or eight (laughs) that'd be wild but yeah i think that's i think that's a fair concern to have for sure are you ready for a final team which i can't get wrong because there's no one else left to talk about (laughs) i wouldn't put it past you Golden State Warriors, tough offseason for the Golden State Warriors to navigate, at least. Both Mo and I yeah. gave them a B minus. Andy, what'd you give them? I gave them a B um, because I just, I just feel like it was kind of out of their control. I, I don't know what else they could have done besides not make that joke at the parade. Or, or <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Kevin Durant was gone, and they did so much to appease him over the last few years. I mean, there were so many instances where, where Steve Kerr seemed like he was unnecessarily going out of his way to say we have the best player in the world and Kevin Durant. It just felt kind of artificial to me. Um, it seemed like they were just trying to, to I guess for lack of a better word, appease or coddle him for the entire time. Um, and it, it, whatever he wants emotionally or mentally or basketball wise, just it wasn't there in Golden State. He won two titles and he still had the desire to go do something else somewhere else. And I don't think there's anything the Warriors could have done about that. Now, they did lose Kevin Durant, which is <laughs> not <Stop>. ideal. I, <laughs> that's, I, that's not ideal. That's a great way. Yeah. <laughs> I think they recovered about as well as they possibly could have. The D'Angelo Russell move, I don't think anybody saw coming. That was. That was one of the most surprising notifications I think anybody got in those few days around, you know, June 30th, July 1st, whenever it was. Um, so I, I feel like it was a decent recovery. Um, but but still, the <laughs> the one of the big takeaways, of course, is Kevin Durant left. So so, they you know, they can't get an A, but I, I just think that was out of their hands. I might even bump my grade up to a B. The numbers definitely don't love the offseason. They are 26th per year wins above replacement differential tracker minus 6.2 only the thunder celtics hornets and raptors lost more ground there their key additions were i kind of like anyway i kind of like collie stein you're about to say his name but go ahead (laughs) um their key additions alec burks alan smilagich i believe i got that pronunciation close because i looked it up beforehand d'angelo russell Eric Pascal was number 41, Glenn Robinson the third, Jordan Poole the number 28 pick, Julian Washburn, Amari Spellman, Willie Cauley-Stein, as you're about to talk about in a minute. Their key exits, Andre Godala, Damian Jones, DeMarcus Cousins, Jordan Bell, Kevin Durant, Quinn Cook. If you want to count your boss Napier and Trevion Graham because they had them as a second, for a second, excuse me, and then Sean Livingston, who they waived. They re-signed Kevon Looney and Clay Thompson, which they absolutely needed to do. Before you get into the Willie Cauley-Stein thing, the... With the Warriors, I, I might be able to bump them up to a B, like I said before. It, what a lot of it comes down to is, Kevin Durant, how are you viewing him? Was he always gone? And I think given the swiftness with which the news was reported, and also given how much we talked about Kevin Durant leaving over the past year plus, you had to operate under the assumption that he was gone already. Yeah. And it's unfair. And to- didn't, didn't it get announced while Kerr and Myers were traveling to meet with him? Basically, yes. Uh, <laughs> So 
<laughs> look, so I, I can't Ugh. factor that, that they screwed up. You know, maybe the Draymond thing at the beginning of last year, maybe that joke at the parade from Myers, like you said. At the same time, Stephen Curry is sitting here hearing Steve Kerr call Kevin Durant the best player in the world nonstop, basically, or periodically, not nonstop yeah. in the past, you know, two-plus seasons, three years, and he's just fine. So he gets an A+++++ for being yeah. a teammate. What it, what it really comes down to is will D'Angelo Russell be worth or net them more on the trade market than Andre Godala and two first-round picks? And that's where I just begin to stumble a little bit because – so you I'm, think he's going to get traded? I absolutely do think he's going to get traded. I don't okay. know if it'll be next season. I'll be shocked if he begins 2020, 2021 with the Warriors. And it's even if he stays, though, it's is he worth more than Iguodala and two first-round picks? There's a chance that he is, but he ran more pick-and-rolls than anyone not named Kemba Walker last year. The Warriors, under Steve Kerr, have not run pick-and-roll, and you probably have to change that part of your game. How does he fit once Klay Thompson then returns? There's a, look, there's a chance that he just, for them, is just worth more than Iguodala, who's not an 82-game player anymore. People call him a 16-game player, which is which is fair. Um, and if you want to assume those two first-round picks, yeah, you know maybe those aren't going to be that great, but they're so far off into the distance, and it's still it's mind-boggling to me that they needed to give up a first to get rid of Iguodala's contract. I just thought that would have been a team that would have taken him in to cap space. And so if you want to say the 2020 first round pick is whatever, because you think they're still going to be really good, that's fine. Um, the pick you're giving to Memphis is top four protected for 2024. That's really far away. Yeah, it's true. So we have to see what D'Angelo Russell does for them or who they turn into. So they still did a great job as far as rebounding from Kevin Durant's departure. And there are players that are intriguing. Willie Cauley-Stein was overrated last year, but I'll let you talk about him. He still looks like he's good. Alec Burke's kind of just another layer of shot creation and, and spot-up shooting. I don't know what to make of the Glenn Roberts in the third signing. And I'm really happy they kept Kevon Looney because he was just so pivotal to their defense at points last year. Yeah, and he was what he showed in the playoffs with that injury was um... – to me, that was really special, too. I, I think he's really good. I think just given how firmly their backs were against the wall, which is a weird thing to say about the Warriors after the five-year run that they just had, um, but they just had so little uh, flexibility here because of what they had to do to keep that team together. And, and for them to add what I think are multiple-plus players in the face of such a huge loss, um, I, I do think Russell probably is going to be worth Iguodala and and the first I, th I think you're right that 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 second one being all the way out in 2024 that is pretty dicey because by then who knows what the Warriors are um Kali Stein is a plus player to me he he should probably come off the bench behind Kevon Looney I'm sure he will but that's a good backup center um Alec Burks is a guy who's always been near and dear to my heart those who follow me on Twitter I'm sure know that um but I yeah I just I think the word you used just now was rebound and I think it was a very very good rebound they had given the circumstances. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I don't know how true this is, this could go back to our earlier conversation about, you know, whose whose agenda is being served by the report. Did you hear that it was Kevin Durant who demanded that a first round pick be thrown into the D'Angelo Russell sign and trade? I saw that report. Because he thought <laughs> he he thought that, you know, Russell wasn't as good as him, which he's right, and that a first round pick makes the trade look better but just to hear that that came from the player was with that was another part of this that was just very odd to me look kudos to him for doing that because how much how, how many i guess it helps his new team so well, there, there, it helps his new team who's there. not going to have him in the first year and so give them yeah. something else and then also how many millions of dollars did kevin durant take off of his contracts well he that's true too the yeah Warriors. Um, th th with D'Angelo Russell, what's interesting, I think he has a better chance of being worth more to the Warriors as a player than Iguodala and those two first-round picks than he does as a trade asset. He needs to have a huge yeah. first half of the year, I think, for people to view that max deal as an asset. And I think a lot the trade that's been kicked around is just uh, – this is just a framework. It doesn't work because the Warriors are hard-capped and you throw some other money in there. But Teague, Covington for – D'Angelo Russell, in essence. Yeah, I've if, seen that one. If I'm the Warriors, I want more than that. And I don't know if D'Angelo Russell's contract gets you more than that. Yeah. So it's if, if you give up Andre Godal and two first-round picks for Jeff Teague and Robert Covington, Robert Covington is a great fit for this team. I, I think you need something a little bit more. You're not going to get Jared Culver out of the Timberwolves. I don't even know yeah. if you get Josh Okogie. I don't even know if Josh Okogie is enough. 
it, it's just it's if they do trade him, I'm fascinated or intrigued, preemptively intrigued to see what they get back. But but again, if you treat the off season as Kevin Durant was already gone, which he was, he was already gone. There was yeah, no, he was he was gone. There was no salvaging that relationship. Then I think that they they rebounded nicely, as we both said ad nauseum at this point. Yeah, I think um, the Russell trade possibilities are intriguing to me as well. But I I think what's even more intriguing is once Clay's all the way back, the Curry Russell Thompson Green Looney lineup. Um, Willie Coley Stein cannot be in that lineup because there will be zero defense being played by anyone other than Clay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I should. That's really uh, mean of Clay Thompson. Excuse me. <laughs> um, I, I, I am. That's one of the most fascinating uh, fit questions to come out of this offseason to me is Stephen Curry and D'Angelo Russell. There's a bunch of them. Obviously, James Harden and Russell Westbrook is going to be interesting to pay attention to. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I mean, we, we could rattle them all off here but Russell and Curry is just fascinating to me uh like you said I, I think Golden State's gonna have to change their offense a little bit to make it work I think they probably will change it but I I think there's a way that they can make those two work um and I'm also excited to see if we can get some semblance of like 2016 2015 Stephen Curry back because I just that's fun for me to watch he is me, Mo and I spoke about this in a previous podcast. Not only is Stephen Curry a good dark horse MVP pick, he's a dark horse pick to win the scoring title next year. Yeah. Yeah, let, let that dude shoot like 30 times a game this season. Here is the final question I throw to you right now. And you can't you can't change it. I don't want when we – I mean, you could change it later in the offseason when we talk about it. But are the Warriors going to make the playoffs next year? I'm going to say yes. But I, it's, it's – um... I don't know. I'm not certain, which my, is a weird my, thing to say. My hot take is I am certain, and they're going to. Okay. And I don't think that that's much of a hot take. I, no, I, think, I wouldn't say it's a hot take. I yeah. think Draymond Green is going to be really coming for Defensive Player of the Year this season. That, and, yeah. And I hate that I, – I know you and I don't like to necessarily boil down conversations to anecdotes like that, but just losing Kevin Durant, not having Clay, coming off a finals loss, so much of the roster was overturned contract year for him i don't know if the warriors will be good enough defensively for him to be in the conversation but this wouldn't surprise me if it's like the second or third best defensive season of his career individually yeah i know i think that's all um that's all worth uh considering i I think he could be really really good this season he's gonna have to be for them to um for them to to be a contender this season and i think i'm i'm sure that he knows that so a lot of interesting teams that we just went over in the Pacific Division. Um, we're going to do this for each of the other five over the next, I don't know, few weeks. We're going to give end up giving out grades for everybody in the league at some point. Um, so until next, if you've got any uh, gripes or uh, quips about what we did in today's episode, you can find Hit me at, <laughs> yeah, at Andrew D. Bailey, Dan's at Dan Favalli, Mo's at Mo DeKeel underscore NBA. As always, we urge you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. If you've already done that, uh, tell your friends and family to do so. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udri, Kyle Anderson, and Jalen Brinson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.